Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Globe and Mail columnist Leah McLaren has been called a lot of things by a lot of people, but I think I'm the first person to call her a pioneer. And I'm serious. She, she was writing snarky, saucy, like selfie posts before the term even existed. She was in the confessional mode before you were, tagging her social network and sharing too much information before that term was abbreviated. And she had haters before the rest of us knew what they were or what they're going to do. They're going to hate. Haters going to. Leah has been writing a column of one kind or another since the late 90s. She has also written extensively for magazines and newspapers here and in the UK where she lives. She's written two books, including the recently published novel, A Better Man. And Leah McLaren will be with me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Cameron Bode, Ben Yendel, Michelle Brown, Noah Zahn, Neil Janssen, Jeremy Keane, Brenton Walters, Alex Semenik, Marty Bond, Jamie, Nathan Wren, and Mary Fogarty, who found an application for this podcast that I never anticipated. I had my dance students dance to a Canada Land podcast. They loved it. None of them had heard of it. I said, okay, just start listening, just start warming up. And then when the actual interview started, they had to start expressing it. And then I asked them what they remembered from the podcast. And they remembered quite a lot of the story through dancing it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand 
That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by a new sponsor. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Comfy Comfy Canada. This is a small family business run by Melissa and Danny who make natural handmade pillows that are filled with organic buckwheat hulls. I want you to listen to this. That's what my pillow sounds like. I have been sleeping incredibly well since I got this comfy, comfy pillow. Danny gave me one for free to try it out, but my wife stole it immediately and and she loved it. So I bought myself one and I, I have totally noticed a definite increase in the quality of my sleep. Your head, your neck gets terrific support. You'll be out like a light. This thing is not squishy or squeezy. It's supportive. And I've been sleeping so well since I got one. And I guess that's the bottom line. Prices start at just $59. They will ship one to you. And for listeners of this podcast, you can get 10% off of your purchase. Buy yourself a new pillow. Start sleeping better. Go to comfycomfy.ca slash Canada land. Um, we got to do disclosures first. Yes. I don't even know where to begin. So I tried to prank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I was doing media pranks for Saturday Night Magazine, I had this fake lad mag. I won't tell the whole story. I tried to prank you. I failed. Yeah. You kind of pranked me back. I uh, did. So that happened. You, but also before that, what was especially like shocking about your prank that you would prank me was you had sent me flowers in the past. Do you remember that? I do. Uh, that's my second disclosure. I helped you because you, you are a me. friend. Of, yes. You're a little brother of a friend of mine from high school. And she phoned me up and said, can you help my little bro who wants to like crack? You're only like two years younger than me. Let's just be clear. You're sure. not that much younger than but me. But you had like the head in, start career-wise. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I'd sort of like I'd landed softly in the newspaper war and managed to get like a nice you know, staff job early on in a precocious way. And you, I helped you place, what was a story about? A story at the Globe. I hooked you up with an editor. You, and story editor ran. And I, I, you I, sent I, me flowers. I thought, what a lovely, like, what a lovely, well-mannered young man. And, and then I, I found you. out you're a shithead. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't personal. I pranked. I went after Eckler, as it happens, uh, Masthead, a bunch of others. Like that, that prank got a lot of people on the hook. And you were hooked. You, it was you, pretty good. Stu, it was a fake magazine yeah. about the normal guy. Yeah, it was like no maxim about having washboard abs and like, you know, sex tricks that are going to blow her mind. It was about like letting yourself go, dating the hot girl's friend, and like sex tips where you don't have to break a sweat. Yeah. And you, you interviewed me and I was Stu. You thought I was this guy, Stu. And yeah, so but you were bad because I phoned you up in Montreal. It was Mon- You were living in Montreal, right? Yeah. And I remember being like, hi, is um, Stu there? And you were like, your roommate was like, who? No, no one here lives by that name, lives here. And I was like, Stu? And he was like, oh, oh, Stu. Just see, just see. It was like I was. You're going to act like you figured it out. But you didn't figure no, it out. No, I didn't figure it out. But I do remember feeling like this is weird. And I actually, yeah, I did. So Eckler ran the story. Yes. Right? You, you were successful. I, I, yeah, I got her. And I remember feeling my editor was into the story and I had interviewed you and I felt weird about it. And I emailed, I was just talking to Antonia Zabrizius and she said, you know, that that's like bullshit, that whole thing. And I was like, oh, but I still had you on the hook. Yes. You thought the story was running. So I set up this sort of, um, I said, oh, 
That's right. I said, we're going to do a big photo shoot, but the timing, we have to do it late at night in the swanky bar. <laughs> and <laughs> I want you to wear like your best outfit. Yeah. And I got you really, really hyped up. And you thought this is going to, and I said, it's going to be like a double page spread in the Saturday section. This is more detail than anyone requires. <laughs> and it's so asinine. You're there. I totally knew that you were onto me because I knew that Antonia had figured it out by then. Okay. So, and, and, and I was like, I'm going to go anyhow and we're going to play this out. And, but, you know, but totally word up, you, you pranked me back and you you sent me flowers from the bartender. You weren't there. I was stood up. That's right. And, and so that and that and that you know it, back to our disclosure came after you had helped me. And I, I I did a couple of articles about like alternative cartoonists for the Globe and Mail. You helped me do that. Right. And it was a very nice gesture on your part. And then I, I pranked you. It like, was all friendly. Like a shithead. It was all friendly. Yeah. But then yeah, you also mentioned that the full disclosure goes back to that you went to high school with my sister and my wife. Yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> I know all about you. Right. <laughs> well, we all know all about I you. So, uh. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting ready for this interview and going through stuff about you online. Yeah. And it was incredible unearthing these neglected, forgotten Leah bashing sites. Oh, God, yeah. You had like three or four people who, as a hobby or whatever, would just write stuff about what you were writing. Yeah. If you go deep into the Google history, I try never to go past the first page. Oh, you got to get into like GeoCities, yeah. Wayback Machine stuff. It was really, you know, yeah. I don't want to generalize or universalize my experience as just like a Toronto media kid to say that everybody was like this. But there was a time when you were such a frequent topic of conversation mm. where it felt like there was no other voice or columnist Amongst our cohort of people our age that attracted that kind – is this does this sound like a yeah, fair characterization? Kind of. I do. It's, it's kind of surreal to me now because the landscape – a lot of it is that the landscape has changed, right? The internet happened. Everything fragmented. Columnists generally just don't have the same influence that we once did because yeah. it's, it's sort of – so that is part of what changed. But then for me particularly, I think what happened was – Obviously, I got a column really young. I, I graduated from school the summer that the National Post launched, university. Yeah. And I got a job because my mother worked at the Globe. So I got a, um, she, I got a job copy editing. It was like a, a contract, a short contract copy editing the arts listings, like a really sort of not even a summer student kind of a job um, just to do something for the summer. And literally, I remember – the, the globe was in a panic because the post was about to launch and they suddenly realized, oh, my God, like they weren't even color. Like yeah. it, was, it was such a – I mean, it was a great newspaper, but it was very stuck. They hadn't bothered to update anything. Basically. And they weren't used to being no, given a run for their money. They were dodging along, sort of doing what they did best. And yeah. suddenly they were like, holy shit, like we have to actually compete and be sexy and seduce readers. And so <laughs> – Literally, I was like the only person under 30 sitting in the newsroom, and they they came over to me. An editor came over. She was like, you want to write a column? Because we need a young columnist, and you've written a couple of stories, and you seem good. So write a column. So that was how I got my column. It was practically like I was just walking by, and they were like, you look young. Right. You write a column. It would never happen You were today. well under 30. Um, oh, God. I was like 20. Three. Yeah. It was crazy. So then it was on spec. It was column to column. And I, they paid me $45 a column, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was awesome. And, uh, and my first column was uh, about this bank robber called Ty Khan. Do you remember him, that I, case? I don't. So he was a bank robber. He'd, he'd escaped from Kingston Penitentiary. 
held up a couple of banks and he was on the run. And I wrote a column saying, and he'd had a terrible life and been in and out of social services. And he was a really um, sympathetic story. And he'd never done any violent crime except for holding a gun into a bank teller's face, which is obviously a violent crime. But he, so I told his story and I, essentially my column was, go tie, go, run tie. I hope he, I hope he escapes. Right. And the column went mental. I mean, it was sort of pre- Internet, yeah, but it was like the switchboard lit up. Like my editor just kept coming out of her office, and her phone wouldn't stop ringing, and my phone wouldn't stop ringing. And I thought, oh my god! And the letters piling up, like bags of letters. And I thought, oh my god, they're going to fire me. That's yeah. how naive I was about. And she said, you have made it, girl. This is like, yeah. So I wrote a series of columns about Ty Con, and then Ty Con ended up in a police standoff. Uh He was on the phone with Teresa Burke from the Fifth Estate because Lyndon McIntyre and and Teresa Burke were in contact with him, and he got shot. He either shot himself or the police shot him. I think it was that he shot himself in a police standoff, and they he was in a house. She was a crime commentator. Yeah, well, it was just it was a general column. It was on the back page of the front section. So, do you remember it ran behind beside the facts and arguments, and they had a different woman in that slot every day. So it was Margaret Wenty one day, Jan Wong, Elizabeth. Um, uh, Heather Malick was Uh one of them. So a lot of people started their columns at uh, that sort of generation. Right. Not that I'm Margaret Wenty's generation. So how did you go from covering that to what I remember was generation wise, both like the question. Oh, yeah. So so my job was more that when it was in news, it was more of a topical column. And then my column, then we got a new editor, Richard Addis, the British Britishman who came over to kind of, uh, you know, sex up the paper and run the newspaper war and try to win it, which... He sort of effectively did. And he moved my column into the Saturday section. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the Globe was like became sexy, entered the world of, um, you know, the British newspaper. We had like column photos from the waist up and there was color in the paper. And, yeah. uh, and he said to me, it's a very it's a very common thing. Every British newspaper, Saturday and Sunday paper has basically a young female columnist who writes about social trends and it's basically like me and my friends a slice of life like funny topical yeah so i started doing that and it's really not and i had followed some of those you know like Ju- julie birchall when she was young did that column now there's katie glass there's camilla long at the times like these are all british references it's a very it's a very normal it's how female columnists start mm-hmm. and it is a bit of a sexist thing you know it is sort of write about your life they don't seem to want young men to do it no, as much. So. I can't think of one. Yeah. But, of course, I was 23, so I was just like, sure, I'll write a column about my life. For, you know, for, and it wasn't really specifically about my life. There were social trends involved. But you like basically, weave in a trend or some kind yeah. of and, – and how it related to you and your friends. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and I started doing that, and that had never happened in Canada. And people lost their minds. Yeah. People acted like I was – Desecrate. Like some people loved it. Everybody read it. And some people felt I was like desecrating a sacred public institution by daring to not write a column that didn't read like that wasn't Jeffrey Simpson. Yeah. It was like shocking. And to me, it was just strange because I thought, you know, it's just a newspaper. There's different kinds of things in the newspaper. We have a dance critic. We have columnists who write about politics. We have... 
Why is this travel section Where? not about African war? <laughs> exactly. Right. This isn't about Syria. No, because it's uh, I'm the restaurant critic. So funnily enough, I don't write about Syria. Going through the criticism, it's so funny from a modern context because what you were like constantly dinged for was self-obsession and too much information. And you were sort of just writing in this confessional mode. And from a modern context... It was before the age of the blog, right? Before the death of privacy, before the blog, before Facebook and Twitter. That's what everybody does now. And, and it's, it's, we talk about a whole generation of people who publicize their sex lives. That kind of journalism didn't exist. It just simply didn't exist in Canada. And it was seen as transgressive, as weird as that seems today. You took a lot of heat for it. I was just, you know, but you know what? I wasn't even that confessional. I had a series of boyfriends and all this stuff happened in my personal life. I never wrote about my personal life, actually. I would write about sort of my friends and being out, but it was all very much a fan dance. Uh-huh. You know, reveal all, show nothing. I didn't really write about it. For me, I was just trying to be funny. Yeah. I was just trying to be, you know, entertaining and funny and to offer people a kind of a voice of a friend, a chatty, topical voice of a friend who would bring up an issue that the sort of issues that people you know, talk about at dinner parties and laugh about. So I, it was a surprise to me that it was so controversial. You know, I would come in in my 20s to my desk at the Globe and I'd have to listen to like 25 messages, many of whom were from men yeah. just saying incredibly pornographic things. I can't even say on air like yeah. what they wanted to do to me. So there was a huge element of sexism and really there was a sense that I shouldn't I don't know it was there was a real misogyny at the heart of it I think that that is absolutely accurate and yet I also feel like you have a talent for dancing with controversy and dancing with reactions when you write about like you characterize yourself I think tongue-in-cheek as the party princess Mm. And write about getting a bikini wax or write about, you know, like, like the headline, why everyone should be blonde like me and the decline of masculinity. I mean, is that mm-hmm. like I don't well, think you, want to touch you say nerve. you're surprised, but I don't think you were that surprised. I think you, you were poking people a lot. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, you definitely want to touch nerve. You want to get a rise. But the really violent anger that surprised yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I found and, that strange. And nobody, like, nobody deserves that, nor is there anything you write, you know. <laughs> you know, that really fell away as I, as my career progressed. You know, I kept writing a column, but the column moved out of the style section into the art section. Now it's in the life section. People just aren't that angry about it anymore. And I feel like I was sort of a... a a polarizing figure. I don't feel like a polarizing figure anymore. I feel like a journalist. Some people might like my work. Some people might not like it. But I don't feel like I make people angry. Yeah, <laughs> no. It, it's, it's different than it was. And I think that it seems like you made some conscious choices about what to write about. Like, sure. It's also different because part of the – you know, you can talk about kind of the misogynistic response and that was there for sure. A lot of it wasn't, I think, about gender necessarily. Like my, my kind of response to it had to do with looking back on it. You were the only young writer, mm-hmm. you know, for a while. Like, you were the only young voice in the Globe. And in a sense, like, I couldn't even think, like, then, you know, they got Eckler at the Post to kind of be their version. And, and that was sort of like it hit the same button of, like, I don't feel represented by this. Mm-hmm. But this is the only representative. And so here you are, like, it's Generation Y. It's about a generation. But I never felt that you considered yourself a member of the generation or were a part of the culture. 
Is that fair? Like, you always felt to me like the kid who wanted to sit at the grown-ups table. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, for one thing, I had a good job at a newspaper in my early 20s. Yeah, you, you missed, no one else did. <laughs> you so. missed out the, the, the central defining experience of our generation, which is scrounging for work in our 20s in our chosen field. I was just very, very lucky. It was pure timing. I happened to be in the right place at the right time. It had to do with the newspaper war. And also, you know, and I think it was also I managed to grab an opportunity and work it. Um, but yeah, for most people of my generation, most of my friends who are our age spend a lot of time like waiting on tables and teaching yoga and trying to figure out and going to teacher's college, then dropping out and then thinking maybe I'll go to law school. And, you know, it's that that's for most people what their 20s were. Mm-hmm. For me, I was very much set on the course I was on. Which is not really fair to blame you for. Like, you know, it's it's, – even in some of the criticism I was reading, people are saying like, well, of course, I would have taken the job too if it had been offered to me. But look, you know, but shouldn't she be doing something more important with it? And it's it's, it's odd what they were asking of a 23-year-old who was specifically tasked to write about trends and social life and stuff like that. The other thing was I always – what I had wanted to do was to be – uh, a creative writer. You know, I, I studied English literature. I went to theater school. I wanted to be funny and mm-hmm. I wanted to be creative and I wanted to, you know, sort of create something that would basically entertain people. I didn't, I didn't study poli-sci. Like I, and I came to, I came to having, I, I now write about politics for Maclean's. I'm the Europe correspondent for Maclean's. So I do a, a bi-monthly letter from Europe and I, you know, just yesterday I filed a story on the rise of Nicola Sturgeon, the leader of the SNP, and how she's completely upending the British election. And so I actually now do write about that stuff. But I, like most people, I came to that a little bit later in my life. I had It took me a while. But I had to do that, unlike most people, I had to do that while writing a column about my life. I had to kind of grow up right. in the public eye in, in a way. It's funny, we talk about uh, you going to high school with my sister, and you were sort of in a confessional mode before <laughs> you were. You had a newspaper column that was a confessional newspaper column. Like, my first memory of you is that my sister did a play oh, yeah. about teenage girls' diaries, and she got a couple of people to, you know, like, yeah. a couple of willing participants to give her their diaries. I know. And you were one of them. I can't believe I did that. I really, I really sometimes regret that. <laughs> because every, like, I'll have lunch with Becca every kind couple of years and she'll be she, she always like brings up that thing she's like yeah but there was that time when you like you know remember when you went to that rooftop and like you know masturbated and and did that thing and did bottle toast like she knows my secrets right <laughs> that only nobody should know and she always reminds me of it it's yeah really <laughs> disgusting is that something particular to you that you were like you know, masturbating a lot. In masturbating a lot on yes. rooftops. Yes. Th- that you wanted to uh, perform your diaries, like that you wanted to kind of share that stuff. You know, I think I had um, my mom, uh, I had a single mom in high school, and my mom really talked to me always like an adult. She had no boundaries at all mm-hmm. from the time I was a little kid. And it made me a little bit weird, I think. It, it's taken me years of kind of <laughs> therapy to accept that. But it made me, I didn't, I was a very open person, and I always sort of have been. And I do tend to, uh, I, I do kind of let it all hang out. I'm very, um, it doesn't bother me. 
as much as I'm not naturally very private yeah. at all. And, you know, my husband is always saying to me after every dinner party, he's like, why would you tell that story? Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm but, weird. I'm the weird one. But you bring up a but, good point that, you know, it's not about like just complete exposition and that it is, I mean, it is sort of the proto Facebook thing of everyone is sort of manicuring a version of their intimate details yeah, to present. That's true. That everyone's sort of shaping like, this is what I'm willing to entertain you to to you know form a connection you know and and to present a certain image of myself this is what I'm willing to show but I'm not I'm not showing you there's stuff no oh yeah no 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 it's it's all it's all a bit of a performance I mean for me it's all bound up in just wanting people to like me yeah I'm a bit of a pleaser and so I really tell you know funny inappropriate stories about myself in the hopes that people might find me amusing. I don't get that from your stuff at all, that there's like a needy, like, I, I, I feel like... Not from my writing, maybe, but right. that's just me personally. Uh-huh. Like, like, it's almost the contrary. Like, I feel like sometimes you're sort of, like, daring people to expose their, like, prejudices or, like, I'm not going to pretend to be so virtuous. I'm going to, like, lay bare this ugly detail about myself and, and you know... Mm. Like, Dare it, you not to like me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like when you like when you say like oh it's day five of the film festival and I I can't eat another like shrimp skewer but I'm wearing this and this and this like I felt like there's like um, I'm sorry for giving such a, a that was like twelve years ago yeah <laughs> okay but that okay the party princess if you want to talk about that that was um, it felt like satire to it me. was not it was satire it was the party pr- the column was supposed to be I'm not sure people entirely got this but it was not supposed to be written by me because I didn't want to the editor came to me and said we want you to cover the parties and I went oh my god I really don't I'm not a gossip reporter like I can't even recognize celebrities I'm really bad at actually picking people out in the room and I thought how could I do this in a way that's interesting and it's not just like I couldn't compete with like Shanann who's just does that and he's so good at it yeah so I came up with this persona who was the party princess and she was this sort of superficial celebrity watching girl who uh so it wasn't supposed to be written by me I'm trying to get like you I'm trying to like Leah McLaren to open up the Leah McLaren playbook because like I know that it's it's like there's stuff you do on purpose that works and you're very good at it like when you when you wanted to break into the scene in the UK you wrote a piece about how dating their men is shit Yes. Yeah. You know, like that, that, by, is, that is a way to get <laughs> noticed. Commissioned by Boris Johnson, who may well be the next prime minister. Well, not the next one, but the one after. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that piece was uh, – that was kind of insane. That was – that uh, totally changed. I mean, for, for about eight years, I was the girl who wrote that piece. And then I actually ended up marrying a Britishman uh-huh. for my sins. You know, it was almost like, and when I, when Rob and I got married, I actually wrote, it was 10 years, it was the 10-year anniversary of that piece, and The Spectator got me to write another cover story, kind of a mea culpa about why I ended up marrying an Englishman in the end. Right, So right. Yeah. So it yeah, had narrative was, closure. Yeah, that piece, though, people, the response to it was just like, more like pure glee. People were... People in Britain get upset, but it's more that they're so enjoying being upset. They're so enjoying the debate that it's not it's not like in Canada where people people get really wounded. It's like Yeah. I think affronted. it was Yeah, I mean the Globe and Mail, I'm not sure it's so much it, people feel this way about their newspapers anymore, but the Globe and Mail, particularly at that time as a document of record paper, people really felt like it was almost like the CBC, like it was something it was this sacred yeah. institution that had 
you know, it had a duty to sort of always be the same and to deliver this same kind of very serious, very staid. Right. Um, and the idea of something kooky and funny and weird and off-piste in that newspaper just was v- deeply upsetting to the sort of to some of the more conservative readers. People were so aghast recently when you used the uh, the Globe's house listing. Oh God, that the house, well, so you know, and, and and to give people context, uh, so there's like a regular feature where a different house was, you know, uh, here's a different house from Toronto that's for mm-hmm. sale this week, and one showed up. And it was yours, mm-hmm. right? And and people yeah. like this is like I think the public editor had to apologize for it. It was you know this is. It was sort of um, it was taken up by critics online as columnist uses her column to sell her house, and that was not what happened at all. The Globe has a real estate section, a section devoted yeah. to buying and selling houses and featuring houses that are for sale, so that people who want to buy houses can buy them. So I. Um, I emailed the real estate editor because it was a common thing. People, you know, whether it was like notable people or people who worked at the paper would say, hey, my house is up for sale. And it would sometimes be the featured house of the week. Um, And I phoned him up and said, hey, um, my house is for sale. Do you want it to be the house of the week? And he said, why don't you just write it? Right. And that was a bit, I was like, oh, okay, that's a bit weird. But so I wrote it. And it was around the time also that Margaret Wenty was taking tons of heat for her plagiarism accusations. So it was seen as it was played. It was sort of packaged up as two columnists in scandal. But I always really felt like, okay, it was it was totally transparent what I was doing. It was House of the Week. It was in the real estate section, which is it's, you know, a lot of the content in that section is. You know, there's there's a whole custom content arm to the globe now. You know, like the content that it, it's a it's what we call um it's a trade section. Right. It's not like it ran in the it's news not the same section. Journalistic. It's not like I said to my editor in the life scandal. section. It's not How a about scandal. This week, like like, I, like, yeah. like the Wente thing was a scandal, but this wasn't a scandal. Like I always say that the Rob Ford thing isn't a scandal because it's just an exaggeration of what we already knew about him. It doesn't mm. surprise me yeah. that you know, like I, I knew he was a drunk. Oh, he's a crackhead. It's just an exaggeration. The idea that you would do that was consistent. Anyone who pretends like I never thought Leah McLaren would list her house in the Globe section. That's a terrible violation of journalistic standards. I don't think you ever put yourself on a pedestal of somebody who, you know, and I, I almost feel like... Well, no, on more the contrary. Than, I mean, if what you're saying is that I have different journalistic standards than other journalists, that is completely not true. I mean, I, I hold myself to all of those standards. If, if you look at, you know, my long-form pieces in Toronto Life, or I'm doing, I'm right now working on a couple of big a big focus feature for the focus section. And I have done, I do serious journalism and I do hold myself to all those standards. Well, I do want to talk about that, but that's not the point I was making. The point I was making was that it was sort of consistent with, you know, I almost think of you as kind of like a trickster provocateur, you know, like that that was a great little feint to kind of get everyone, I can't, but now she's doing this. Oh, I I, know, but the, the criticism I took for that, like being accused of being unethical, I took that very seriously. You did? Oh, yeah. But it it is unethical, isn't it? Um. No, it was very transparent. I think it it was it was on the great. It was definitely a mistake. It was a mistake to do it. it right. It did not look good. But the globe, it, it's a gray area because that section is a section devoted to selling houses. Right. It's that they feature and and people they feature people's houses. So why shouldn't they feature 
you know, one of their own people's. I'm a freelancer. I just suggested it. It was, um, I wasn't trying to sort of do anything tricky. But that's not a paid column, right? Like people don't pay to have their houses listed in that column, do they? Like, no, and it's I, a mix of editorial and advertorial and advertising features in that section. And that's and that, yeah. that particular column, I think any reader reading it would be like, oh, and, and the Globe has picked an interesting no. house to feature each week. Mm-hmm. And, and this week's happens to be from a Globe columnist. Like, yeah. I, I think that, 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 that at least in the, uh, in the eyes of, of the public editor, that crossed a line. I'm not trying to put you on like, I don't think it's yeah, that no, big it did, a it, sin, but I mean, it, yeah. is, it is what it is. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, was, it wasn't good. And I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> right, right. But the, uh, you know, the idea that I was knowingly violating some kind of ethical code, I don't, you know, I don't feel, uh, the criticism I took for it, I felt like was out of, out of whack with, you know, the, the punishment did not befit the crime. Yeah. Not that I was punished by the Globe. And actually, you know, my editors were, Sylvia wrote that piece and I had a talk with them and it all, I think the, the real estate editor who signed the piece, you know. Took the heat for it. He, yeah, well, he made the call yeah. to ask me to do it and I shouldn't have done it. I should have said, you know, that's a bit weird. Yeah. Look, I've invited you here to come talk with me, and I, 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 know. I, I really – what I'm curious about you and not putting you on trial for is that I feel like you are provocative, you know? And, and, yeah, and, oh, and, definitely. And, and definitely. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your work, and a lot of people will say, like, well, you're one to talk because, like, what – is curious to me is you sometimes work in the mode of satire. You sometimes work in the mode of confessional. You sometimes say, well, no, this is a reported story. So do I. Mm-hmm. And, you know, expecting an audience to keep up with that and know when you've got which hat on is something that I bump up against all the time. You've been doing it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I guess I just, one thing I was wondering was like, is there a piece you regret writing? Um, the Bikini Max column, <laughs> because everybody brings it up. Uh, and also, I got a lot of really pervy mail, creepy. Some guy sent me like thirty photographs of different women's bikini boxes. Um, yeah, I regretted that. Did you ever feel like in danger with all the hostility that was? Like- oh yeah, definitely. There was one guy who, um, yeah, left threats, and the police yeah. had to come, and they had to give him a warning. And it turned out that he um, had. Uh, assaulted and done time for assaulting his ex-wife and so yeah no that was spooky and he was also um i'm not going to say his name but he was also harassing other he was harassing i think jan wong at the time Uh um and i think margaret wenty he would just phone and leave these unbelievably uh threatening and pornographic for me it was all pornographic stuff for jan it was like racist anti-asian stuff so yeah. anyway people there, there's freaks out there you know there's but i've never felt like seriously um worried at all is there anything you regret running because you like changed your mind or you felt it wasn't fair um oh you know there's lots of i i stand by everything but there's often times when I would have, if I could go back, because you write things so quickly in journalism, you know, you, you're often you're just up against a deadline. And sometimes there are things that I would have tweaked that I would have just, oh, God, if I could just had softened that line, I probably mm-hmm. would have saved myself, like, you know, the screaming masses. So I'm very, um, my husband is uh, the uh, assistant editor of The Observer, and he is, he sort of takes care of their columnists who are very out there and exposed. And often now I will show him something if I feel like it's, yeah. it's on the line. But also I have really good editors. My editors at The Globe are really 
lovely people who will sometimes say, you know, maybe we should rein this in. I think you're going to take a lot of heat for this. Um, you know, you you need people to take care of you because my instinct is always to push it, right? Yeah. I I have um, you know, I like you. Yeah. I, I sort of don't mind being provocative. I don't mind sort of saying the thing at the dinner party that people go, oh God, Leah, you would say that. Um. But um, sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to be a little bit, uh, I don't know, like the most recent piece I did that was really provocative was the open letter to Peter McKay's wife. Um, do you, did you read that one? I think I remember this. Refresh, refresh me. It was when McKay, so McKay had gotten into heat for, he, he addressed a bunch of lawyers and he said something in his speech, according to the lawyers, he denies this, um, about women and how women have a special cl- connection to children and, and it's like biologically yeah. an imperative for women. So it was something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And then he also, at the same time, a staff member of his leaked his Mother's Day and Father's Day emails to his staff. Yeah. And the Father's Day emails were like, to all the fathers on my staff, um, fatherhood is wonderful, imparting advice, teaching kids to ride, ride bikes. No, no. And to the mothers, it was like, motherhood is wonderful. Baking muffins, uh, you know, uh, taking time with your kids, changing diapers. I don't know. It was just so – it was – and uh, anyway, so I wrote this um, uh, piece that was an open letter to Nazanin, his yeah. wife, who I'd interviewed for Chatelaine and really liked, just saying um, – you know, it was it was a bit. <laughs> you were attacked for like being patronizing. I was, yeah. I was maybe I could have. I don't know. I don't. I don't regret it at all. I don't regret it. But since she wrote, she wrote an, an open letter back that right. was in the yeah, Globe, yeah, and we yeah. were all very polite to each other. It was so Canadian. We were basically like, Arr! but uh, it was so. It was so. so uh, but I don't. No, I don't regret it at all. Yeah. But, um, I knew that that piece was going to cause massive uproar, yeah. and, and part of it was that, um, you know, she it was had a huge career and had written books, and she was an activist, and now she's had a kid, and she is a political wife who stays home with her baby. And I was a bit like, well, you know, that's your choice. Yeah. Um, you know, I, that's not, anyway, that hasn't been what I've done after having a baby. So there's, it was a bit mummy wars ish. And, uh, but I, right. but um, yeah, I think that that's sort of like the lens that I, I look at what you do through, which is almost as like performance art, that these are willful provocations and that you're, it's not like it lives and dies as a piece of writing, that there is a back and forth, there's a conversation you're having with Canadian manners mm-hmm. that I think is, this isn't an accusation, that it's deliberate, yeah. that you do this deliberately. The opinion writing is is a bit that way. It, But, Jesse, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that I write that I think probably you just don't read. Do you read the letter from Europe in the world pages of Maclean's? Religiously. You, <laughs> you know, and I write there. Yeah. I'm there well, every I think you're week not writing about politics. So much anymore, but too. it just yeah. people just don't um people just don't uh get as worked up about that stuff, about the sort of more traditional journalism that I do. But I actually do a ton of it. Mm-hmm. I do, you know, I'm one of the most busy freelancers in the country. And But I notice that when I write more uh, sort of traditional stories, people just don't – either they don't read the byline or they just don't – it doesn't upset them. So they don't yeah. – you know, but I do do this other thing, which is opinion writing, and that is what attracts all the attention. You know? Yeah. And do you enjoy it? Like if, it goes, if, if it's been too long since one of those has kind of created a little firestorm, is it like – 
Yeah, you, you kind of do crave it. You yeah. kind of, I, it is a, it is slightly addictive. It's really hard. It gets really hard not to see your name, you know, in print and not to get that little hit. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. The website is at canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with help from Katie Jensen. There will be no shortcuts this week, but a new episode, the second episode of Canada Land Commons, will be up on Tuesday. If you like this show, support it.